Good morning. We are going to now dismiss our kids for Children's Church, so they're headed out that way. And um, we've also got the nursery over there if you need to take advantage of that, or cry room in the back, so all kinds of different options uh, for our little ones. Uh, I've got several things to kind of mention at the beginning, so just kind of sit tight for a minute. We, uh, they seem to always kind of come in bunches, so we've got a bunch of things to mention. You may have seen, we got started with the video a little late before worship this morning, but one of the slides this morning said that we have our back-to-school blessing tonight. Uh, it's not tonight, so <laughs> maybe that caught your attention, though. It caught a couple of people's attention. It's in two weeks. So two weeks, we'll meet at the Huddleston's house um, on that Sunday afternoon, evening for our back-to-school blessing and, and meal and prayers and blessings over our teachers, students, parents, uh, whoever is affected by school. So come to that, uh, swim, eat, hang out with us. That's two weeks from tonight, though, not tonight. Uh, there is this week uh, a fish fry at the Love of Christ um, building that Larry gave me a flyer for before church today. Some of you may know, uh, may not, that um, this, this says, God has blessed the Love of Christ food pantry with a refrigerated truck, which our own Larry Schulze is one of the drivers for. That, uh, thanks to this truck, yeah, we can clap for him for that. Larry and others drive this truck around to uh, distributors, grocery stores, different places in town, and it just opens, has opened up so many more doors of opportunity for what they can collect um, and use at the Love of Christ Food Pantry. So that's a great work in our community. They're having a fish fry this Thursday to kind of celebrate that at 1130 at their building, and Larry said, just show up. Uh, they just want to kind of share what they're doing and, and celebrate together. So show up, eat some fish, uh, see what they're doing over there. Uh, this Thursday. Uh, I also, um, I remembered as all this other stuff was going on, um, I, I told um, Beverly that I would help kind of plug, uh, there's a, a program called Wildcat Mentors uh, as a part of Temple Independent Schools. Uh, if you don't know about that, it's, you know, we've kind of been talking about ways that we can give uh, and invest thinking of, of money uh, through this series, but there are other ways that we can give and invest in things that have value. And one of the ways that, that has been a blessing to me to, to invest in, in our community is through the Wildcat Mentors Program. It's a fairly simple uh, way to do it. Uh, you, you sign up to go uh, hang out with a student at school a couple times a month uh, and, and invest in a student that may not have um, people willing to spend time investing in them. And uh, so if you want to know more about that, you can ask me, you can ask Beverly. I asked her right before the sermon today, is it too late to sign up? And she said, no, she actually has a meeting about it this week. Uh, so that's a great way to invest uh, in, in families and in students um, in, in our community. And, um, and I, I, as I said, it's been a blessing to me. And um, the, you eat with the same kid, or you, you know, I typically did lunch with, with my student, um, and by the end of the year, you know, you start to think, you know, maybe he doesn't want me around anymore. Who wants this old guy coming to eat lunch with him? <laughs> uh, but but he, he looked forward so much to, to our, our lunches together, um, and so it was a blessing. Uh, I know for me, and, and I think it was for him as well, so I, I want to make mention of that as a way to, to invest in in the things and the people around us. Uh, and then we're going to have one more. Karen is going to make mention of something towards the end today of another opportunity uh, to invest in, in those in our community. So lots of things that we can be doing, and I think those fit into this, this series that we've been talking about today. Um, I also wanted to mention 
So we've been doing this series on Wednesday nights that have been focused on kind of how we engage potentially contentious and divisive topics and, and maintain loving relationships. And I've felt the need a couple times. I don't think we need to explain why that's necessary. Um, but, but sometimes it's nice to say, okay, here's, here's why we're doing this. Um, and if we needed any reminders, then this weekend certainly provided it. Um, I, I thought that after the El Paso shooting yesterday, and then we had another one this morning, if you haven't looked at the news yet this morning. Um, and so there, there are plenty of opportunities that we still have to have discussions. And one of the things that I think we as a church, a couple of things I want to mention this morning that I think we as a church can probably stand to do a little better. Uh, one of them is lament, uh, that there's a lot of lament in Scripture, and we don't know how to lament well as modern American Christians, I don't think. Uh, so we've got, a, we've got a site that we get all our videos from uh, that, that we use in worship. And I, so I just kind of did an experiment this morning. You can type in like searches for tags that videos will have on them, like, you know, different, different themes or topics that the videos have to do with. And so I topped in the, the topic praise, which is a, we, we do praise well as American Christians. Uh, if you type in the topic praise on this site, four, uh, 347 videos come up that have that tag. If you type in joy, 308 videos come up. If you type in lament, zero videos come up. <laughs> like, what video could we use for lament? Ah, oh, there's not really one. Um, we don't know how to lament well. And so I think there are times when we can, we can sit well in lament. I thought about scrapping everything this morning and just saying we need to sit in lament because uh, there are some things we need to lament. And we could go on and on about what those are, but I think one of the things we need to lament uh, is that racism is not simply a settled issue from our past, but is very much a struggle of our present. Um, and, and it appears that at least the shooting in El Paso was, was racially based. Uh, Governor Abbott has called it a hate crime. It's being investigated as such. There's a manifesto that he apparently wrote that is available online uh, that, again, apparently uh, authorities uh, believe was written by him. But I think these are just things we have to acknowledge. And I'm not suggesting that anyone here believes that we have solved racism or that it's not an issue, and I don't believe anyone in here would espouse to those beliefs. Uh, but I do think it's something we have to continue to proclaim, especially as white people, uh, that this is still an issue and something we need to lament uh, and to be aware of and to speak out against. Uh, okay, so that's that stuff. Uh, I don't have a great way to transition from that, so I'm just going to tell a preacher's joke about squirrels. Um, <laughs> So, um, there's a pastor who uh, arrived at a new church that he was preaching at, and one of his first items there, he showed up uh, to one of the first church business meetings, they were talking about how to get their squirrels out of the attic, uh, that they'd been trying for who knows how long to get these squirrels out of the attic, they tried everything, and they keep coming back. Uh, so he's listening to all the things that they've been doing, and finally the pastor just says, I know a great way to get rid of them. I'll just do a sermon series on giving, and they'll leave immediately and won't come back. <laughs> if there's one way to make people mad in churches, either talk politics or money, right? That's, that's, that's the way to do it. Uh, so you're here for week three of a series on money. So blessings on you. <laughs> You've made it this far. We've got this week um, and one more. Um, but... Towards the end of last week, we started to see that oftentimes in Jesus' conversations about money, what he brings out is that Jesus' kind of system of valuing things and measuring worth is very different than a worldly way of looking at those things. Uh, I realized this early in ministry, in, in working with teenagers, that the first 
uh, first retreat that I planned as a youth minister for my teenagers. Like, I was, I was the young youth minister who was gung-ho, and I had all these great games that we were going to do. Our weekend was packed full of, of great youth ministry games, thanks to Google. Uh, and so one of the games uh, was a game called, um, I don't remember what the name of it was. It was like uh, Pie Roulette or something like that was the name of it. And so here's what you would do. You would sit in a circle... And you started out with a, like a tin pie can, and you put whipped cream in it. And so you handed it to a person, started the music, went around the circle, like passing this pie of whipped cream. So when the music stopped, if you were holding the pie of whipped cream, you had a choice. You could either pie yourself and stay in the game, or pie the person next to you and eliminate yourself. Um, so I thought this would be a fun game. So we played this game, but I thought, you, you've got to give this game some stakes to make people want to pie themselves. So I told our teens, I said, if you're the last person in the circle, you get 10 bucks. I completely underestimated how much teenagers would value $10 cash. <laughs> you thought I told them I was giving them 1000 bucks. It was, it was insane. Um, and so the thing I, I failed to say about this game to you that I did tell them was that each time you go, we add a different food item to the pan. So we start with whipped cream, which isn't bad, but then you add tuna, Italian dressing, all of them on top of each other, uh, barbecue sauce. Uh, I don't remember how many rounds we went to, but it was insane. And so and we've got just, just this table of stuff that we just keep adding stuff. I'm like, I'm, we're, like we're invested now. We're just going to keep going until we run out of food. It was disgusting. Teenagers just kept pieing themselves and pieing themselves and pieing themselves. Our room, we, we were in that room for the rest of the retreat. We never got the smell out of that room. It was, it was disgusting until the finally, so we, we end up, I've got four students and our oldest uh, volunteer at the retreat who was about 70, this, this amazing 70-year-old lady who was like, I want that 10 bucks, I'm staying in. <laughs> so, like she lived on a huge ranch, she had no need for 10 bucks, but it was kind of the principle of it. So we've got these four teens and her still in it, and we get to the final, um, we get to the final item to put in there. It still embarrasses me somewhat, but it was Tabasco sauce. I had a doctor with me at this event who let me do this. Shame on him. <laughs> so we get all the other things loaded into this pie pan. They're, they're, they're all covered with stuff at this point because they've all had to pie themselves at this point. Um, and so we put the Tabasco sauce on top of everything else. The music stops, and this girl is sitting there, like almost in tears, and just pies herself straight in the face with it. Um, and then her eyes are burning. She can't see, and she's got to go run to the bathroom. But it's like, don't start without me because I'm coming back to play. <laughs> and so at that point, I was just like, all right, forget it. I'll give you all 10 bucks. We've got to stop before we lose somebody's vision. Um, so sometimes people have a dis different system of measuring value and worth than we do. It can catch us off guard. It can surprise us. But I think a lot of the stories that Jesus tells are kind of meant to show that, that like, wait a minute, like, I've got some different ways of thinking about things, and I want you to pay, pay attention to that. Uh, so we're going to look at two such examples of that this morning. Uh, both of them are in Mark. They're just a couple of chapters apart. So if you want to turn to Mark 12... We're going to pick up in verse 41. Uh, Mark 12, 41. This is a story that uh, many of you have probably heard several times. Uh, but I, I think it's got some interesting stuff in it. Uh, and I even kind of had some different questions about it reading it this week that I'll get to at the end. 
Uh, so Mark 12, verse 41. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Uh, So at this point in the story, Jesus has been teaching in the temple courts, and in this area there would have been some boxes lined up, probably about 13 boxes lined up for collection of, uh, of offerings. And these boxes would have had kind of like trumpet-shaped funnels going down into these big collection boxes, which looks something like this. Uh, this is actually a sort of modern picture of, of somebody's interpretation of this, uh, this very story. And so you can see, as you put money in these big kind of trumpet things, if you come in with a lot of money, it's going to make a lot of noise. Uh, and so maybe if you really want people to notice you, maybe you even come in with Uh, in our vernacular, nickels instead of quarters, right? So that it really makes some noise as all your coins are clanging around going down in there. Uh, So that if you're giving a lot, people are going to notice. No one notices a widow coming in to put in two small coins. Uh, Her offering was worth one sixty-fourth of a denarius. And a denarius was worth uh, one... One day's labor for a day laborer at that time. So what, you, what a day laborer would make in one day, her coins represent one sixty-fourth of that. This is like nothing. Uh, I don't think it can be overstated. The temple did not need her money. Uh, and so Jesus, though, points this lady out and says she gave more than anyone else. Because Jesus defines giving differently than anyone else looking at the situation. Because God is infinitely more concerned with the condition of the giver's heart than he is with the actual amount of the gift. The work of the kingdom is not primarily a work driven by money. And I know that there are good works that need money. uh, And so there are times where we have to do that. Jesus would have been a terrible fundraiser. Like no one would have hired Jesus as the fundraiser for their mission effort. Uh, Yeah, two cents, bring it on. Let's go. We'll make that work. Um, it's, but I, like, things need money. Churches and Christian organizations uh, need money to run. Mission efforts need financial support. Ministers and their families need salaries. Like, I get it. Um, I get those things. That was supposed to be a joke that I, I get that, that ministers need money. I'm not telling you to give two cents. Um, but <laughs> just I get uneasy talking about money for some of those reasons. Uh, and so I get all of those things. But the gospel bears fruit because of hearts that have been turned to God, not because people have purchased it with money. And and I think this is what Jesus wants us to grasp in many of his teachings about money. Uh, So the next gift then comes in Mark 14. And in many ways, this gift appears very, very different. So Mark 14, pick up in verse 3. While he was in Bethany this being Jesus, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. 
Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Uh, That phrase there, rebuked her harshly, literally means that they were flaring at the nostrils. That these, the, the, the people at this meal cannot believe that someone, now listen to this, they cannot believe that someone would do something so nice for Jesus. Which is just, you can kind of hear then Jesus' kind of uh, little perturbedness in his response. When he says, leave her alone, Jesus said, why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. We're going to come back to that later. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So this woman also gives a gift that on one hand is, is very different. Uh, again, the widow's gift is one sixty-fourth of a denarius. Uh, this bottle of perfume uh, is worth about 300 denarii. So it would have taken about 19,200 of the widow's coins to buy this bottle of perfume. The, the gifts couldn't be more different in terms of monetary value. Uh, and the gifts are perceived very differently by those around. Uh, the widow's gift would have been totally ignored and overlooked by everyone else, if not for Jesus pointing it out. Uh, meanwhile, the woman in Mark 14 is, is overtly chastised and ridiculed uh, because of her decision to use this incredibly valuable possession in this way. So one gift is completely overlooked because of its insignificance, while the other is chastised because of the significance of the possession. And I think we find then in the disciples' response a sentiment that seems to be pretty much universally true, and that is that whenever someone else spends what we believe to be too much money on something, we determine that to be a waste and question why the money wasn't spent on something else. Um. And you can hear that come up in the disciples' response, and I think that this is a, a kind of common way that we couch those feelings by saying, you know, that, really could have, that money really could have been used for the poor, um, as if there are things I spend money on that I couldn't also do something for the poor with. And most of the time, the issue isn't really that the money didn't go to the poor, it's that we didn't think that someone should be spending that much money on blank, whatever it is. Uh, John also tells us about this story, Uh, and in his account of the story, Mark just kind of generalizes the response, Uh, but John tells us specifically it was Jesus, I mean not Jesus, Judas, who had an issue with this gift, and in singling Judas out, uh, he says this, John says this about Judas's objection, he says, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. (laughs) In other words, care for the poor is just a cover for me wanting more stuff at least for Judas. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Um, And you can see Judas's greed come out in what happens after that and everything that follows in the Gospels as he betrays Jesus for money. Uh, So from a worldly point of view, the gifts couldn't have represented further extremes of worth and value. 
But as I said at the beginning, Jesus often uses conversations about money to show us that he values things very differently, and he measures worth very differently than others. And so in these gifts, I think we see some similarities, uh, primarily that in each case, Jesus' focus is not on the financial value of the gift, but on the heart and the posture of the giver. In Jesus' understanding of giving, no gift is too small to be meaningless, uh, and no gift is too large to be wasteful or frivolous. And so I think there are times when perhaps we don't feel as if uh, we are in position to give for whatever reason. Maybe we think, uh, I just don't have a lot to give right now, and so my, my gift would be uh, worthless or insignificant or wouldn't amount to what someone else can give. Or maybe sometimes I think we tell ourselves, uh, when I'm in a little bit better financial situation, then I'll be able to give. And, and once I get through some of this other stuff, then I'll be able to give more and I can do that then. But Jesus praises the widow because of her willingness to give as she was able, regardless of the amount. The amount of the gift doesn't matter compared to the heart of the giver. And when our focus is more on our heart and what we are able to do, then, then giving will naturally flow out of that. On the other hand, we might find ourselves uniquely equipped and positioned to give extravagantly and dramatically impact a person or situation, only to then question whether or not the money could be used or put in a different direction or, or, or fear that others are going to, to look at it and wonder if that's the best use of that money. But Jesus here praises an extravagant gift given in love, and resources poured out in love and in the name of Jesus are never poorly given and fill whatever space they occupy with a lasting and fragrant aroma. Uh, I love that part of the story in Mark 14 where, where Mark says the, the aroma filled the room as it would if you broke an entire jar of perfume. Um, but don't you know that had to be something that stayed with those disciples who were there. Um, and perhaps every time they smelled perfume like that in the future, they were reminded of this woman who came and, and just poured out this extravagant, feet, this extravagant gift uh, onto the head of Jesus. Um, extravagant gifts have a way of filling spaces with pleasing aroma and staying with people and making an impact. Uh, but beyond that connection, uh, there's something else that I think may connect these two women and their gift giving. And this gets back to, to kind of what I, I sort of said at the beginning. Uh, there are some things that I wondered about this week in reading these two stories. And so I think I've always had kind of some underlying questions about the widow's offering in, in Mark 12 that I've never, I don't think, fully allowed myself to really kind of explore or to question. And so I tried to do that this week. Because uh, as I was reading through this woman's story again, or, or Jesus at least commenting on this woman's uh, gift and story, if, if I'm honest with myself, I have some uneasiness about an impoverished widow coming to the temple that doesn't need her two cents and giving the last stuff that she has to live on. Um, like, if you just remove the Jesus aspect of that, uh, that, like, that just makes me a little queasy. Like, this, this is all this woman has, Jesus says, this is all she has to live on, and she's giving it up at, at the temple. Um, and so that kind of started me asking some questions, like, is this objectively a good thing that this poor widow is giving up the very last of her resources? Like, just at a practical level, does this woman have food to eat tonight for dinner? What's, what's she going to do when she gets home? How's she eating? 
uh, she doesn't have Larry showing up in a refrigerated truck, like bringing her, bringing her dinner. What's she going to do for food? And so with that in mind, I want to take a look back, uh, if you've still got your Bible open, to Matthew 12, I mean Mark 12, and look at what immediately precedes the story. So as I said, Jesus has been in the temple. Uh, he's been saying a lot of different stuff. And so, like I said, by the time we get down to the end of chapter 12, there's a large crowd gathered. And so if you pick up right before the story of the widow, if you pick up in chapter 12, verse 38, this is what Jesus said. He says, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes, be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses, and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. So Jesus very directly <laughs> calls out people who, people who are exploiting widows. Then he sits down, and he's just kind of watching the crowd. And he notices a poor widow come in who's about to drop in the last two cents that she has into the collection box. So he calls his disciples over. And he just says, hey guys, I want you to, I want you to look at something. Uh, this widow here is about to put in the last money that she has. Everyone else is giving out of their wealth. Out of her poverty, she's putting in all she has. That's it. <laughs> That's the end of the conversation. We don't have any follow-up from the disciples. Jesus doesn't really give a lot of commentary. A lot of the commentary that we provide for the story, we either provide on our own or we connect it to other things that Jesus says, which I think is fair. But all Jesus does is point out this widow who now doesn't have anything to live on. And then I picture them just kind of sitting there in silence for a minute. And I sort of wonder if Jesus wants the disciples to ask some questions as well. Uh, I sort of wonder what he wants them to see in this moment. In Mark 14, the woman's jar of ointment or perfume, whichever way your Bible describes it, uh, was likely something that would have been passed down as an heirloom, something that could be sold in a time of desperation. It may very well have been a financial security blanket of sorts. And so her willingness to give that up for Jesus, I think, is another connection between her gift and the widow's gift in Mark 12. That not only do they, bro do they both bring all that they can as an offering before God, not only are they both doing what they are able but they are both risking their security and well-being in their offering. When Jesus tells his disciples to leave the woman alone in Mark 14, he tells them, the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. So he puts the emphasis back on them. Uh, but he also quotes something from Deuteronomy 15, because uh, the law is full of examples of how Israel was supposed to support uh, the poor, the needy, the widows, all those types of people. And so one of Jesus' uh, phrases there, the poor you will always have with you, is actually a direct quote from Deuteronomy 15. And I want to read this for us uh, as, we, as we think about this. This isn't going to be on the screen, but this is Deuteronomy 15, verses 1 through 11, because I want you to listen to this, um, because as radical as Jesus is about money and economics, this may be the most radical economic policy you'll find in Scripture. Uh, Deuteronomy 15. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. 
This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their people because the Lord's time for canceling debts uh, has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you if only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow these commands I am giving you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land your Lord God is giving to you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Now listen to this one. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you shall not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. In other words, not only do you have to cancel all loans every seven seven years, cancel all debt, but if you know the seventh year is approaching, you can't refuse to loan to someone saying, that seventh year is coming and I'm not going to get my money back so I can't lend. He says that is a sin, he's going to say in just a minute. You want to talk about some radical economic policy, (laughs) Have a presidential candidate now try to suggest this as economic policy and see what happens. <laughs> um, this, is, this is pretty, this is extreme. Um, so he says, be careful not to have this thought. Um, it says, um, so that you will not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. Uh, they may then appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. Then this is the part Jesus quotes. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. So if, you, if you're following along there, in verse 4, he says, There need be no poor people among you. If you obey the Lord, then by the end of it, he recognizes you're always going to have poor people among you because I know you're not going to do this. (laughs) That's what Jesus is calling them back to, to say, this is why you have poor people among you. Maybe you need to be paying a little more attention to what you're doing. Um, That'll get you into some controversial water. You want to talk about a contentious topic. (laughs) Um, But in Mark 12 and elsewhere, Jesus has harsh criticism for the religious leaders of the day. But Jesus forces a reminder upon them and on us that the temple must represent more than an extension of those who would devour widows' houses. It has to represent a system that lifts up those who are in need, who are oppressed, who are in poverty, who have no means of caring for themselves. And that's even more true if impoverished widows and women willing to sacrifice their financial security at the feet of Jesus are your most generous givers. And so I wonder if Jesus calls his disciples over to do more than call attention to the widow's gift. I wonder if he wants them to ask some questions of themselves. I wonder if he wants them to ask of themselves, how is this lady going to eat tonight? I wonder if he wants them to see more than her heart 
I wonder if he wants them to see that by giving all that she has to live on, she is now completely dependent on her community for survival. And so we can absolutely praise the devotion of two women willing to give all they have to the kingdom of Christ. But we also need to recognize that in doing so, they are not only expressing their love for Christ, but also their faith in and dependence on community. That in depleting themselves of their lifelines, they are trusting that their physical needs will be met by community. And so the community is going to have to show up around them in support. So what will the disciples' response be to seeing a woman who now leaves the temple with nothing? Uh, Each Sunday, we come around the table to celebrate what Jesus has given each of us in his ministry, in his body, in his death, in his resurrection. And we do so coming around the table um, as, as equals, as people in equal need of the love and grace and mercy of Jesus. And so this morning, as we do that, Uh, Whether you are able to give much or whether you are able to give little financially, um, know that Jesus cares about the heart of the giver and that he values whatever any of us are able to give, whether that is of our money, of our time, of our resources, um, of our words, of our encouragement. Whether you are here and able to pour out your praise as we sang this morning, or whether you are just completely empty and are in need of pouring into, whether you are in position to give uh, in terms of the blessing of community, or whether you are in need of receiving encouragement and support from others emotionally or spiritually or or whatever it may be. Uh, All are invited to the same table hosted by Christ in which we are reminded of not only our need for Christ, but our need for community. Uh, that we call this meal, this Lord's Supper, this Eucharist, uh, communion. As we commune with God and as we commune with each other. And we remember our need for not only our Savior, but we remember our reliance and dependence on each other as we strive to live holy and pleasing and radically generous lives to our Creator because of His great love for us, poured out to us in His Son and in so many different ways. And so as the band comes back and as we continue to sing together this morning, as we remember the blessings of Jesus, the blessings of community, the blessings that God has has rained down upon us, um, may we do so remembering those things. And if you need to be filled, I pray that you are filled this morning. And if you are able to pour into others and fill others, I pray that you find opportunities to to do that. And may we all find opportunities uh, to bless others uh, and to give in big and small ways as we go throughout our week. Let's stand and sing. These will come confess.
confession together and I'll pray the parts in white and together we'll pray the parts in yellow and then share in our communion meal together. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest path paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded 
to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. You may be seated.